exploration, Starfleet, or merchant service. Choose from navigation, engineering, space, space medicine, medicine, contact liaison, and more. If you have the right stuff to take on the universe and standardized examination scores and meet requirements, dispatch your application to Screening Office, carry the Commandant, Imperial Space Academy, your sector, and join the ranks of the proud. Dum -dum -dum -dum. Oh, I love it. Oh, uh, I'm out here in the tech dome, Wendy. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 406, A New Hope Radio Drama. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the fixer to my Wendy, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh, 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 to quote John Favreau, that's a deep cut. <laughs> that's a deep cut. <laughs> oh, Jason, I could not be more excited than I am right now. To finally sit down and discuss the simple story, but the expanded story of Star Wars A New Hope, the radio drama. Because, my goodness, this is a 13-hour radio play that expands upon a barely two-hour movie. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a quite a big expansion. Like, ugh, it's, not, it's not 13 hours, is it? It's yes. 13 episodes. Yeah, it's uh you're right. It is 13 episodes, they're not an hour each. So, but yeah, I mean it's 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 still significantly longer. It's, it's like 5 hours longer than the movie. Yeah, it's like 7 <laughs> hours of of yes. of content. Yeah. So, whoo. Oh. Yeah, it's a lot. And so what all we want to do with this episode is we're not going to talk necessarily the history or how it was made because there's so many shows that have done that. Um I got to go to a great um, panel at the last celebration, uh, all about the creation of the radio dramas in general. Um, we'll hit a little bit of the, just like the brief, here's what you need to know of the facts of it. But we've always wanted, like, like we said last week, we've played through the, a new hope radio drama. This was our third time just this past, past month. So we've never sat down and actually talked about what's in there. So we really want to just highlight the things that are in the radio drama that we felt like enhanced, the story of a new hope. Um, cause there's just, obviously there's a lot of additions. Um, so we're going to kind of dive into those. We got some audio clips from the radio drama itself, hopefully to get you excited in case you've never listened. Hopefully you'll want to go listen. Cause there's just so much good stuff. We're going to try to go through it as quickly as we can. Cause it's, it, there's a lot of content. Um, uh, but yeah. we really want to try to hit as much of it as, as we possibly can. But before we do, uh, last week we had a poll in light of our episode all about Attack of the Clones musical moments, and we asked you what your favorite musical moment in Attack of the Clones was. Jason, what did our good old Larians have to say? 
Well, they, they gave us quite a bit of stuff. Um, so here we go. In fourth place, with one vote each, we've got uh, Yoda and the Younglings. We've got uh, the Duel of Fates playing when uh, Anakin is searching the Tatooine desert for his mother. Uh, we actually have the the clip from uh, Shmi's death and and what I quoted, what I called Anakin's madness as he goes to slay the Tusken Raiders, um, which is a good musical moment. Um, the uh, clones preparing for war at the end of the movie, uh, Dex's diner, and finding Camino. So those are all one vote each. Uh, in third place with two votes, we have the actual finale montage, the complete montage, like I had in you know in my uh, list last episode. In second place, the Coruscant chase. Uh, with Zam Wessel, Anakin, and Obi-Wan, of course. So uh, a lot of people enjoyed that. Uh, and then first place, um, this is sort of a combination with uh, five votes. We've got uh, The Wedding slash Across the Stars. So Across the Stars got quite a few uh, votes, but we were looking for moments. So I just put it in with The Wedding. <laughs> That's fair. Yes. But uh, not surprised that one won. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the titular piece of the movie. So, and back in the you know Star Wars Oxygen days, when David Collins was doing Star Wars Oxygen over on Rebel Force Radio, when he would do the the theme tracker, um, I know the the Imperial March was the most ever in a movie in Empire Strikes Back, but second to that was Across the Stars and Attack of the Clones. So, it's not surprising that a lot of folks enjoyed this particular piece in the movie. No, no. Um, and it is a beautiful piece and should be a favorite. Uh, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so thank you everyone for, for sharing your, your favorite musical moments from this movie. Cause, uh, I, I gotta say, Jason, I can't wait to get back to attack of the clones in the near future because I, I still want to talk about it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, just, uh, we'll I love that movie. Definitely get back to it. Yes. Yes, we will. Um, so we we have a, a matchup for you at the end of the episode. Um, but before we get to that and, and right in before we hop into our um, episode at large, uh, we the last few weeks we announced that we were going to be doing another uh, um, giveaway and we were offering up a copy of the Attack of the Clones soundtrack in light of all the episode to Attack of the Clones love we've been giving. And our winner of the Attack of the Clones soundtrack giveaway over on our Instagram is Alyssa Steltz. So, Alyssa, congratulations on winning this giveaway for the Attack of the Clones soundtrack. I will be in touch with you about getting that sent to you as soon as possible. Um, If you hear this before I reach out to you, just either send me a message on Instagram or send us an email and we'll get that sent out your way um, very soon. So thank you to everyone who participated in the giveaway, who who liked us, retweeted us, liked the image, shared the image in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we appreciate that. Indeed. So, and congratulations, Elisa. <laughs> Begun? The Attack of the Clones soundtrack has. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one final reminder before we uh, dive into our New Hope radio drama discussion uh, in two weeks, we are going to be doing an entire episode dedicated to 
Christmas and Star Wars. Of course, we're only a few weeks away from Christmas, which Jason, I don't know about you, but that's freaking crazy to me. Um, it's it's coming so fast. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little weird. I don't, um, I I can't I, I can't quite get that that you know wrapped around my head at this point. It's it's not a. It does. It, this year's gone by too fast, Carl. I'm just saying this year's gone by way too fast. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It really has. Um, but like we've been saying the last couple of weeks, what we would re- we really want is to hear from all of you some of your favorite Star Wars Christmas memories. Whether that is a special Star Wars gift you got one year at Christmas. Or obviously, the, all the recent Star Wars movies were released except for Solo during the Christmas season. Maybe you have a fun story around that. Whatever it may be, we want to hear your stories and we want to play them on that show in two weeks. So we encourage you to just take maybe a, a minute or two and record just a brief audio recording telling us a Star Wars Christmas story and send them to us at Podcast at gmail.com and we will play them on our episode in two weeks. So please send us in some of your Star Wars Christmas memories. Indeed. I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Carl and I have shared quite a few of ours over the years. Uh, so now we want to give you your chance to share some of your stories um and so we can comment on them and say how cool they are so um (laughs) so please send those in uh record yourself because we want to get your voice and get you really involved in the episode itself um i mean we could sit here and read your stuff but it kind of it's like secondhand and we want to get it straight from the horse's mouth so to speak um or the bantha's mouth maybe i should say (laughs) um Or crate dragon, or wampa, whatever you choose, to, whatever Star Wars mythical creature you choose to become, <laughs> we want it from that mouth. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Tauntaun. <laughs> All right. Oh, so yes, definitely send those in to us. Um, and, and like we said, we've got a we've got a matchup for you at the the end of this the episode that we will get to when we get there. But Jason. The A New Hope radio yes, drama premiered on March 2nd, 1981 on NPR. I was not alive. I don't believe you were alive, considering you're younger nope. than me. Um, and as, as so many folks know, famously know, some of just the brief backstory of the radio drama, George Lucas sold the rights to NPR for a whopping $1. <laughs> So, yep, back in the 80s, NPR was really struggling um, uh, financially. It was really struggling with listeners, and they wanted to do something exciting and and fresh. So they decided, let's make a radio drama of A New Hope, of of Star Wars. People would love that. And, of course, uh, they reached out to George Lucas, and it was uh, a local NPR station based at USC, um, uh, University of Southern California, which is obviously George Lucas's alma mater. And he could not have been more pleased to give them the rights to do the Star Wars story. He gave them permission to use music, to use sound effects, and all for a whopping one dollar. Um, yeah, they needed so someone. I, I'd, say, I'd say NPR definitely got a better deal than Disney did. Um, <laughs> so yes, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, NPR brought in Brian Daly to write the script for the A New Hope radio drama. And Brian Daly had just recently written a Han Solo trilogy. Um, He wrote these three stories about Han Solo uh, before Empire Strikes Back even came out. He really seemed to capture the spirit of Han Solo, 
capture the the fantastical universe of Star Wars, and he just felt like the perfect guy to tap for that particular uh, script. So that's how it was just in a nutshell, how it came to be. Um, after it came out, NPR skyrocketed in popularity. It's, it's financial revenue went right up, right up. They were in great shape after this, which is why two years later, they decided to do it for Empire Strikes Back as well. And I'm sure we'll get into a discussion on that in, in the future. Um, but the, what was so unique about the radio drama is ultimately, right? Brian Daly had to take something that was about a two hour movie and predominantly a visual movie right and make it into a radio drama into a you know a narrated experience and he did that yeah. over 13 episodes half an hour each i mean and in my opinion it's so so good i I'm, i might get people really ticked off saying this and i apologize but i prefer the a new hope radio drama to the a new hope movie um i like it just so much more. And granted, yes, there's a lot more story that they're able to tell because of the time. Um, but the way he just expands it, the way he characterizes moments and, and everything, I just love. Um, so what we want to do is just kind of go through this each episode, um, episodes one through 13, just kind of highlighting some of the big moments that were unique to the radio drama that aren't in the film or necessarily kind of in our experience enhanced the movie. Um, and what's also important to note that episodes one through three of the radio drama were all events that happened prior to the movie. So you kind of have these three prequel episodes to the movie itself. Yeah, no, and it, it's, it's really, really cool. And it's stories that we've, you know, we've gotten from, you know, George and stuff I think was in the novel. I've not read the A New Hope novel, um, but um, some of it's yeah. At least some of it was was there. Uh, the the Luke and Biggs stuff, uh, uh, and Anchorhead stuff was was there in there, I believe. Um, I think this is the only place that the the Raltier stuff with uh, Leia, yeah, uh, is 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 done, and that was really good stuff too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's some really quality stuff, and of course, Mark Hamill uh, reprised his role as Luke Skywalker for. Uh, for this so and and that really kind of lends an air of um of authenticity to all of this uh and of course anthony daniels as c3po as well so you mm -hmm. got some of the original cast back yeah uh, yeah in this performance so. yeah um and I, I would say everyone who who takes over their their the roles of the main characters do a phenomenal job um, and Sachs as Princess Leia is incredible. Um, Brock yeah. Turner, who does Darth Vader, honestly, it took me some getting used to, but right. once I got used to it, I did think he did a great job with it. Um, and then Brock, uh, Peter. Brock Peters, thank you. Um, and then Han Solo is, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on him? Do you remember it, Jason? Perry King. Perry King, thank you. Um, who actually did try out for the role um, for yeah. the movie itself, but obviously lost to Harrison Ford. But I got to say Perry King is phenomenal as Han Solo. So, yeah. Uh, and I mean, to be fair, I, I think that might be partly because Brian Daly had already written for Han Solo. So he gave Han Solo some really good stuff to, to chew up the audio scene with. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, 
but yeah, no, there, there's some great stuff. All all three of them are just fantastic, and uh, Bernard Barons as Obi Wan uh, slipped into Alec Guinness Alec Guinness's shoes perfectly yeah. as well. So yeah, um, yeah, there's some the the cast in this is phenomenal, uh, right? And we'll just leave it at that. So yeah, so the story begins um, on Tatooine. Um, which was the original way the, the movie was originally going to start with Luke on Tatooine. But um, I think it's fair. Folks said to George at the time, hey, this stuff's kind of boring and it's not going to draw people in. So he, he you know, obviously chose to start with the space battle. But the radio drama begins with this story about Luke Skywalker. And, and it opens with him listening to this recruitment tape to sign up for the Imperial Academy. And he's so into it. Obviously, this is the clip we used at the top of the episode. Um, Luke is singing along to it. He's reciting the lines. He's heard this a bajillion times. And it really just establishes how excited he is to join the Academy. Yeah, no, it it's really funny. Um, you know, it, it's so funny to, to hear, you know, Luke Skywalker say, and join the ranks of the proud. You know, as he's, you know. And of course, his, his friend Wendy comes in and, and finds the tape and, oh, this has been played like a couple thousand times, hasn't it? You know, and he's <laughs> ribbing Luke mercilessly about it all. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it, it's pretty funny uh, and kind of a an interesting way to open things up because people listening to this we know Luke Skywalker's the hero of the rebellion, but here he is playing a recruitment tape for the Empire that he's listened to hundreds, if not thousands, of times. So, yeah, little, yeah, little kind of yeah, yeah. Twist. Um, what I love about this first episode too is it really does establish Luke in his world, and it ultimately establishes him as a loner, as this outsider who isn't really accepted by his peers. Um, you know, we get some great scenes of him at Anchorhead where he's really getting uh, kind of the the cool uh, head of the clan at Anchorhead as a character named Fixer. And he and the rest of the, the, the folks there love to pick on Luke and make fun of him and his the fact that he's kind of a dreamer and aspirational. They love to make fun of it. Um, and Fixer's a bit of a bully. And, and let's take a listen to good old Fixer. Happened to qualify. So what? What do you think you are, Biggs or something? Yeah, right. he just wants to go to the Academy because Biggs did. He always was his hero. Yeah, I'd like to go to the Academy. Why shouldn't I? Because it's for suckers, Skywalker. <laughs> they want to stick you into a uniform and give you orders. At least here at the power station, I'm my own boss. <laughs> anyway, my father says the Empire is just recruiting more people into the Academies so they can draft them into the Starfleet. Do you think mm-hmm. anybody out there cares about Luke Skywalker? Mm-hmm. Well, if you leave home, nobody knows you. Hey, there is the juice. Here it is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, so they love making fun of him. You know, you're... You think anybody cares about Luke Skywalker, right? It's it's really establishing that he is kind of this this nobody character that he doesn't, yeah. you know, he doesn't have any tremendous value outside of outside of that. And uh, you know, he, even even here on Tatooine, he doesn't fit in. An outsider in his own town. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is why he's constantly you know, dreaming and, and leaning towards the stars and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah. Plus we get, uh, we get beggars Canyon. We get the, uh, the, the sky hopper race through beggars Canyon. 
that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, so, you know, what? while uh, Fixer's bragging there about what a great Skyhopper pilot he is, uh, but he still can't beat Biggs this time. And he's like, well, Luke kind of calls him out. He says, you know what? You can't beat Biggs because you're afraid to, the, to thread the stone needle. You know, there's this special rock formation in Beggar's Canyon that'll help shave off your, your time. So Luke yeah, challenges him yeah. to a race. Yeah. The, the fun thing about this uh, is that in the Rogue Squadron video game uh, that came out, oh gosh, back in the 90s, uh, there is a level where you can race Beggar's Canyon. And the Stone Needle is crazy uh, because, you know, you come through this canyon right at this pillar of stone and there's a hole in it up at the top that's pretty small and just big enough for your ship to fit through. Um, so if you can fit and get through there just right, it's a straight shot to the finish line. Otherwise, you have to cut around it or, you know, swing wide to avoid the stone pillar. And that usually means that you lose the race. So it's fun having played that level in the video game and hearing uh, Luke and, and Windy racing Fixer and Deke yep. uh, in the other Skyhopper, Skyhopper, you know, going through this and, and, you know, picturing the level I played uh, at the same time. Um, it's pretty fun pretty fun yeah yeah it's it's cool that they gave you the opportunity to do that um Mm -hmm. so luke luke is takes the risk luke threads the stone needle and beats fixer um and you know it's this huge jubilant moment he's so excited he won the race um and still they kind of just they're like oh you're a crazy one you 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 took too big a risk so like even in victory luke is luke is not cool enough for them Right. Um, but Luke kind of is riding this high and, and he goes home to his kind of mundane life with uh, Aunt Brew and Uncle Owen. And, you know, <laughs> the poor kid is so excited for this accomplishment. He just he just completed and he comes home to a very not exciting life um, with with his aunt and uncle, specifically his uncle, who's a bit of a bit of a, a hard, hard nut to crack. Uh, let's see what his life is like with. Uncle Owen. More shape than yeah. evaporators, Uncle Owen. What about getting some new droids? Oh, just what I need. Another expense. But with another droid or two, we could keep the whole farm at peak efficiency right through the harvest. Look, I can check around Toshi Station in Anchorhead, and there'll probably be a Jawa Sandcrawler passing through any time now. Maybe they'd have something we could use. Luke, give over your daydreaming and do your share, and we won't need any droids. I never let you want for anything, have I? Huh? Mm-hmm. Fine, young fella. At least you can do is show some gratitude. Oh, Mars. Oh, and we could use a little more help. Oh, Owen is so mean to him. <laughs> uh, he's he's meaner in, in the radio drama than he is in the movie. Um, but uh, it's it's funny because it's it's almost a front because as soon as Luke leaves, he softens up and, and Baru, you know, he's like, oh, I mean, well, you know. He essentially says that, you know, not in so many words, but he 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 tells Brew, you know, I mean well, and this is this is this will be good for him in the long run, you know. He does care, even if he is a bit of a a hard a, um, <laughs> so on Luke, so 
Oh, way to keep it PG, my friend. Um, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I, I think my favorite part of that whole scene is after Luke leaves and Baru is is kind of like, "Come on, Owen, you you can't do this," and uh, and he's you know being a, a fuss budget about everything, and she she's. She says, you can't begrudge him his dreams. A person has to have their dreams. Uh, it's one of my favorite lines in in that episode uh, yeah. because um, it's she's like the only one who kind of sees value in his dreams that's left yeah. on Tatooine right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and and again, we get the sense that that Owen is is wary of Luke's dreams because of his father before him. And again, we don't really get any more fleshed out reasons why he's so wary of Luke's father. I mean, obviously, we've seen the prequels; we know why. Um, but yeah, you know, while Owen is he's over parenting, right? He's he wants to shelter Luke so much because he, he. I mean, in the radio drama, he literally says, um, she, you know. I wish I could make his choices for him or something along those lines. And, but Baru is the one who's saying, like you said, Jason, he's got to have, he's got to be able to dream, you know, that's what makes him special. Um, yeah. so, you know, after Luke kind of leaves this tumultuous situation and, and he goes out to fix a vape evaporator. Um, and this is, this is actually a deleted scene from the movie, which you can watch on YouTube any, or it's on the Blu-rays as well. Um, but Luke is out there trying to fix this, uh, this broken down evaporator with a treadwell droid and he witnesses a space battle up in the atmosphere. He, he gets all excited and he goes back to Anchorhead to share the news of this, this awesome space battle he's seen um, up in the atmosphere. And once again, you know, he's just, he's not welcome in Anchorhead. They, they love to make fun of him, but this time when he goes to share the good news, he gets a nice happy reunion. Come on, shape it up. You guys, wait till you hear what I hey, just, we got company. Luke. What? Big! <laughs> when did you get back from the academy? So the two shooting stars are reunited at last. I'm so thrilled to be here for them. I just got in on the shuttle. I wanted to surprise you, Luke. You know, I thought you'd be here when I arrived. I forgot you have the harvest coming up. <laughs> hey, but how come you're back so soon? Didn't you get your commission? Sure. Hey, I got it. The academy accelerated our courses. It seems the Empire wants the commercial space lines expanded as soon as possible. <laughs> you ought to drop the Emperor a thing. Thank you, Note Biggs. That's the only way you could have gotten out of that academy. <laughs> Fixer's such a jerk. <laughs> I really is. He really is. Um, and he likes being a jerk. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's this great moment. Luke is all excited. He, he, he saw this space battle. But then the biggest joy for him is his Biggs came back. And he gets to see his best friend again. Um and that's the the biggest joy for him. Obviously, they go out to look at this space battle. By the time they go out and look at it, the battle's over. So again, they just continue to mock Luke, um, like, "Oh yeah, some some big space battle there, Dreamer." You know, everybody's making fun of him, but he and Biggs just kind of go off on their own and 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 really have some uh, some tender exchanges. And this is what I love about the radio drama is it's, this particular episode is it really shows the friendship that Biggs and Luke have and and how close they are and. Um, how much Luke misses his friend and how without Biggs, Luke really is alone. He doesn't have a close friend with Biggs gone. No, no. And you know, that Biggs being gone 
is giving him sort of this this crossroads of, all right, so do I just sort of settle in and accept my lot in life or do I try to make something happen and, you know, see the stars, you know, get out in the world, you know, that sort of thing. And obviously we, we know where that goes because uh, a couple of droids show up, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really kind of puts him at this crossroads and, and it's just kind Star of crystallized based on in character. The, uh, Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I hit a button on accident. Yeah. Uh, and it just sort of crystallizes um, for him uh, with this visit of, of Biggs. So. Yeah. But. Yeah. You know, and when they go off and kind of have their moment together, Biggs, is, Biggs confesses to Luke. He goes, Luke, I really wanted to tell you so that somebody would know in case it doesn't go well for me. He tells Luke that he he's while he's at the academy he made some friends with the rebellion and he's planning to basically go awol from the imperial academy and join the rebellion because he that's the side he believes in and luke is really excited for him like that's great but he luke is also like well may, you may spend a long time finding them cuz even the empire can't and biggs just confesses he says listen i don't care how long it takes i'm going to fight for the side i believe in and I want you to know that. And he really kind of encourages Luke to follow in his path. And Luke starts making excuses. You know, oh, I got to stay and um, help my family. Um, and, you know, the, it, it, I'm obligated to be here. And Biggs calls him out on it. He says, you got to stop using these excuses and follow your dreams. Um, and, and, and they kind of butt heads over that because Luke is being all defensive. But he knows Biggs is right. And that's what I love about this first episode is it really just shows um, how close these two are. But more than anything, when Biggs leaves at the end of the episode, you really do feel for Luke. You really feel that now that Biggs is gone for good, Luke really is kind of all on his own. And it's really, really sad in this moment when uh, Biggs says goodbye. Looks like there's a wind kicking up. (laughs) Wind's rising all over the Empire, Luke. Even Tatooine will feel it. Sooner or later. I guess we'll be seeing you for a while. Oh, maybe someday. I'll be watching for you. Listen, next season, I'm going to be going to the Academy for sure. (laughs) No, I am, I am. Take care of yourself. So long, Luke. Um, yeah. Uh, so... When Big says goodbye, Luke is left in his mundane life, and he, he's very alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but yes. That's, that's where we leave him. Yeah. You know. Um, so the next episode, episode two, Points of Origin, finds us again with some prequel material to the movie um, on the planet Raltir with a new character named Lord Tyon. And he's there on Raltir putting down a rebel incursion. There's a kind of a, a rebel force that's risen up. Lord Tyon is there and we'll find out that Darth Vader's there with him. <laughs> and they're putting down this rebel incursion and Leia shows up with these medical, medical supplies to help the people of Raltir. That's the story she's selling. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we find out in a conversation between her and Captain Antilles that, well, they're military-grade medical supplies and equipment, um, not just, you know, hospital things. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's a little bit more 
dubious than she's selling to Lord Tyon. Yeah. Star- yeah, for sure. Um, but it's, 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 you know, she, Leia just, the way she just stands up to Lord Tyon, even though he's this, you know, he, he's an Imperial officer. Um, she just gets right up on him. Um, and, uh, it kind of s- stands up to this Imperial power. Um, she's not going to go, She's not going to take lightly the way the Empire is acting on Relt here. Greetings, Your Highness. Lord Tyon, I demand to know your the meaning Highness, of this. Your Highness, may I say that while I regret that circumstances require this inconvenience, I'm delighted to see you again. My ship was intercepted on her approach and forced to land under escort. The Tantive IV is a consular ship on a diplomatic mission. You have no right to Perhaps your captain here, Captain... Uh... Captain Antilles, Lord Tyron. Antilles, yes. Perhaps he'll be good enough to explain what cooperation the Empire may command when emergency powers are invoked. Emergency powers? For what reason? When peace and stability are threatened, it's the Emperor's duty to intervene to ensure his subjects' security and well-being. Well-being? They're the ones you're arresting! Your... Um... You know, it's it's funny to hear the language used here. In, in light of the prequels, obviously this was this came out long before the prequels. But he, Lord Tyon says, "Oh, well, the Emperor's just made some, you know, um, emergency powers. Some executive orders have been made because the rebellion is such a threat to him. So everything I'm doing is allowed." Yep. Yeah, pretty much. And she, of course, being Leia, objects, um, and not in. Gentle terms, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> Leia has never been accused of being gentle when it comes to the Empire. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's great. She's not, but, uh, she's not afraid to speak truth to, to tyrants. Yeah, exactly. Um, but of course, uh, you know, she has a run-in with Vader, um, who... Seems quite suspicious of her presence there as well, but he's busy putting down an uprising. Um, and, uh, well, the uprising is really just a distraction to get something to Leia. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hear Brock Peters as Darth Vader in his first encounter with Princess Leia. Welcome, Princess Leia, to Raltir. Lord Vader? Once again, you appear where rebel activity is rampant. You should be more prudent. You might come to harm someday. If you're looking for Lord Tyon, he's out on the space field's southern perimeter. I believe he's awaiting your arrival. It occurred to me to wonder why those traitors would throw their lives away on a useless gesture. Perhaps they hope to steal a ship. Or to divert us. <laughs> Vader's wiser. <laughs> Oh, very. We just can't prove it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's looking at this uprising and essentially saying this is useless. They're they're obviously trying to do something else. And and that's exactly what pans out. Right. Um, this rebel soldier who's wounded comes to Leia, uh, you know, using this uprising as kind of his cover and tells Leia that he's got these stolen plans to a space station. And he's going to he wants to share with her how to how to receive those stolen plans. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, Leia and and I do love Captain Antilles in this episode. I love that he really has more of a role to play in both this episode and the next one. 
obviously Captain yeah. Antilles, we do see him killed in A New Hope. You know, he's the one that Vader chokes and <laughs> throws to the wall. But he, that's the only yeah. scene he's in. Uh, the radio drama, he really does get flushed out as having this relationship with Leia. And he, he kind of really is her confidant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Leia gets off Raltier. She kind of baits Lord Tyon to come visit her on Alderaan because uh, Lord Tyon wants he wants to marry her. Um, and I thought this was neat. So Lord Tyon essentially says, if we marry um, because of my standing in the Empire, it'll make Alderaan even more influential. So it really kind of evokes this, you know, kind of medieval sense that we're not even medieval, like, I mean, throughout so much of history, right? Marriages were based on gaining more power, right? Like, you know, people that were higher in power, not everyone, but right. Like a, a, a king would marry off one of his children to another king's child because it unites these kingdoms and it gives him more power. That's what Lord Tyon is ultimately offering to Leia. But Leia lets it slip that she's disgusted with him because she knows that he's working on a Death Star. Yes, which is a code name that nobody should know. And she like she tries to put it off like it was a figure of speech, uh, you know, something I heard in the halls of the Imperial Senate. And he's like, no, 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 that's not it at all. You're a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is a private dinner with just Leia, Lord Tyon, and Bail Organa. Um, and uh, the argument gets heated, and Tyon is going to, you know, turn turn her in and. Uh, you know, arrest the you know royals of the House of Alderaan for for treason, and she can't let that happen. So there's a tussle, and in the tussle, his blaster goes off, and Tyon is killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Leia's not pleased that she's. I mean, this is the first time she's ever killed anybody, according to her. Um, and it is very disturbing, you know, and, and again, like this is something that obviously departs from the current canon we have, right? You know, the mm-hmm. the, the novel Princess of Alderaan makes it very clear that Leia has been involved with the rebellion since a very early age. But um, this the radio drama really seems to imply that she's still kind of new to the rebellion at this stage. Um, so she really after this encounter with Lord Tyon. Uh, Bale basically has a cover plan of here's how here's what we're going to do with the body. We're going to make this look like a simple accident. We're going to be fine. <laughs> you know, they're they're going to cover up the, his death. But Leia really insists to her father that it's time for Alderaan to get actively involved with this rebellion. Um, and we have this beautiful moment then between this father and his daughter before she decides to leave for Tarpaw. Taprawa, there we go. Taprawa is where they're going to receive the intercepted uh, Death Star plan. So again, this is obviously a story very different from Rogue One. Um, and uh, we have this tender moment between Leia and Bail before she leaves. Suspicious of me. Father, I told you I've been doing some thinking. Rebels died on Raltier to get word to us. Others died to capture the plans of the Death Star. They knew the danger. So do I. You can't expect me to stay here when there's vital work to be done. Father? Very well. Oh. But Antilles will go with you. Father, I won't fail you. Or the Alliance. There will be a second part to your mission, Leia. In the struggle, we shall need more than arms and intercepted plans. It's time we summon the help of one of our wisest warriors and leaders. Who, Father? The Jedi Knight. Obi-Wan Kenobi. General Kenobi? Yes. 
Because of him, we survived the Clone Wars. Now we need his help again. Where is he? I'll give you the precise coordinates. After your mission at Toprawa, you must go to him and convince him to resume the fight against the Empire. I will do my best. You'll have to hurry. Father, thank you for trusting me. I'll try to make you proud of me. My daughter, you already have. You already have. Now hurry. So, Jason, depending on when I'm listening to this episode and my mood, when he, you know, when she says, I'll try to make you proud, my daughter, you already have. I'll cry during that moment if I'm in the right mood because it's beautiful. And this is just a radio drama. We're not even seeing anything. But I love this exchange. You know, she it, it just really shows how much she loves and respects Bale. And in, 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 you know, in conjunction to that, just how much he loves and respects his daughter. You know, it shows that he's not a stubborn, hard-headed man who's unwilling to listen to other ideas. You know, no, 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 I, Leia, I don't want you to go and do this. It's too dangerous. And she ultimately says, I've, I've made this choice. I know it's the right thing for me, Father. And he, you know, he kind of changes his mind. All right, go do it. And he gives her, like, very specific mission parameters, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and... And I love that, you know, again, because obviously we don't see any of this in the movie. You really get a sense of how much he loves her and she loves him. And it makes the the the, the tragedy of Alderaan even more pro- pronounced, in my opinion. It does. It really does. Um, and and you can kind of see that a little bit uh, with um, with Bail Organa in Rogue One. You know, he uh he says that, you know, the mission to get Obi-Wan, he, he's going to give it to someone he trusts with his life. You know, <laughs> I trust her with my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, so that's, that, that does survive. That relationship, that closeness does survive uh, into the canon. And, and it's really, really a, a tender, sweet moment. And they perfectly play Leia's theme in that moment to, to great effect uh, with it. So, yeah. so she'll shake it off. On the Tantive Four, as they call it, or the Tantive Four, as I have always called it. So, um, I don't, you know. Yeah. But we're off to the next episode where we get introduced to R2 and 3PO. Yeah, which I know you must love. Uh, so, episode uh, three Black Knight, White Princess, and Pawns is, for the most part, once again, prequel material. Most of the events from this episode are not in the movie, but it does end with uh, the, the, the Tanifor being overtaken by the empire. So this is where the movie finally shows up. Um, but we, we do get introduced to the droids and we have some really fun and silly moments with the two of them. And we see R2 and 3PO kind of getting assigned to the same work party together in this episode. And we, we see why they're working together on the Tanifor. I do so miss the fragile nuances of human conversation. The subtle social interplay at receptions and ceremonies. No, I haven't enjoyed working with you. You're nothing but a plumber. If you astro-droids had any real intelligence, you wouldn't need an interpreter counterpart, and I could return to my job in protocol. Listen up. I'm the labor pool overseer in the ship, and none of you better forget it. (laughs) You're nothing more than a plumber. (laughs) Plumber. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, you know, thinks so highly of himself, and then there's the labor pool guy and just yelling at all at all of them. So yeah, uh, but yeah, they get they get assigned to a special detail, uh, you know, that's personally being given out by Captain Antilles, 
who assigns Leia as a uh, an override command uh, person. Yeah, to R two and three yeah. PO. Yeah, yeah. So and until these kind of, um, like you said, you know, he he gives he gives them a very specific kind of order that anything Leia orders them to do, they have to do, regardless of self preservation. And we're told that they have to do it, even if it means they have to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which is obviously something that goes against the basic nature of a droid. Um, so, you know, the, it really shows how 3PO and R2 are kind of attached to her. And what's neat is they have to intercept these plans as they're p- passing the planet of Raltir. So granted, like this doesn't, I mean, yes, none Tapawa. of this to Pawa. Thank you. Raltir was the last planet. So as they're yeah. passing over to Pawa, um, R2 goes out onto the hull of the Tanifor for whatever reason, he has to be outside the ship to receive these plans. Um, and as he's receiving the plans, the devastator shows up and opens fire on them. Captain Antilles tries to de- delay the devastator so that R2 can finish getting the plans. And then, um, you know, R2 comes back in and Leia basically gives him these these very dis- direct orders. You have to go down to the planet, take the plans with you, go get Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, it's it's very clear how important this mission is for R2 mm-hmm. um, here yeah. in, in the in the radio drama. Yeah, it really is. It is it is a an assignment and it is a command override. Um, that Leia gives him, you know, that, that there's nothing more important than this mission. And of course we all know R2 when he's given a mission, how he reacts. So, um, there's no stopping the little, the little droid. So, uh, but yeah, they, she puts the plans inside R2, gives him the message for Obi-Wan and, you know, he's off. Mm -hmm. We, we pick up with the movie and there we go. So, So that takes us into episode four while giants mark time. And, you know, at this point moving forward, the rest of the story is, is from the movie with obviously lots of extra stuff, which we're going to, we're going to get into. Um, Mm -hmm. But the story of the Jawas capturing the droids is told from three PO's perspective, as opposed to R2's. And that's, to me, it's pretty obvious why they chose to do that. Three PO can talk. He can kind of narrate what's happening. R2 can't do that. We can't interpret the, 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 the beeps and the whistles. So we get this all from 3PO's perspective. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, because he, he can talk and he can, we, we, we hear what's going on and he asks the Jawas what, you know, when we stand here, Oh, whoa, you know, and he goes up the shoot. Um, and then of course he asks them about his counterpart. You know, he was going that way. Did you see him? Did you grab him? Oh, Star- that's how they, uh, that's how they found R2 is because 3PO was uh, a loud mouth. Yeah. And, and once they meet up, uh, uh, R2 isn't too pleased with, with 3PO for essentially giving his position away and getting in the way of him doing his mission to get to Obi-Wan. They sucked you up in that horrible thing too, did they? Yes. Well, those creatures who captured you, us, are called Jawas, I managed to find out. And, uh, this vehicle is referred to as a sand crawler. (laughs) Oh, well, yes. That is, I, I'm afraid that I was partially at fault there. You see, I merely asked those Jawas earlier if they'd seen anything on them. I did not tell them where you were on purpose. If you must know, I was simply concerned for you, 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 you short-circuited incompetent. And this is the thanks I get. Oh. <laughs> Classic R2 and 3PO. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, God, it's so good. They, they, they do definitely catch, you know, the, the relationship between R2 and 3PO very well in the radio drama, which is, you know, difficult because R2, as we've said, cannot actually talk. So, right. Um, right. Uh, yeah. we get, we get a really neat little scene though in, in, in the midst of the, the droids being captured by the Jawas, we get a very short scene where, once again, we see Owen and Luke discussing Luke really adamant, Uncle Owen, we need more help. We need some droids. Um, and he, he says, you know, there's nothing to Anchorhead right now. And Owen tells Luke to shoot up a signal flare because if there's Jawas in the area, that will bring them. So it was yep. just like this neat little, again, like it's not in the movie, but it's this neat little aside that shows us. Well, how if if a farmer needs something from a Jawa, how does he get their attention? Well, apparently they shoot up the signal flare. So yep. Luke shoots up a signal flare, and the sand crawler comes a calling. Indeed, and of course, you know, as in the movie, the droids are all brought out. Except R two gets a little bit more mischievous in line than he was in the movie. Yes, he does. Get back in line! They'll never buy R two. What are you doing to that R five unit? R two. R2-D2, you know droids are not supposed to modify other droids without human supervision. Honestly, I don't know what's got into you. So again, this is what's so neat with the radio drama. Again, this came out in 81, so a few years after the movie. And and I feel like there was a response to obviously the fans at the time were like, oh my gosh, what was, you know, what happened to R5-D4? Why did it go wrong? So Brian Daly chooses to tell this little story that R2 is the reason R5 gets messed up. R2's tampering with him in line. Right. Yes. Uh, he is, you know, playing chess in order to get out of his restraining bolt and get back to his mission. Um, R5 is a pawn. Then he takes Luke Skywalker, the king. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to Star like put Wars. that. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So. Uh, you know, and the, you got that. Did you want to play that other audio clip or no? No, that's okay. Um, okay. Yeah, he basically he he tells three PO on his way out the door. Yeah, I just showed him part of the message so I could get the restraining bolts off and leave. Bye. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, we, it really showcases just how mischievous R two can be. But again, I tie it back to what happened in in episode three here, where. Um, episode three of the radio drama, not Revenge of the Sith, um, where we really see how important R2's mission is to get to Obi-Wan. Um, and again, we've been told that they're able to, they're allowed to lie, to be mischievous. And so R2 admits to 3PO after Luke goes off to have supper, that the reason he played part of the message was to convince Luke to take off his restraining bolt. So again, he kind of, he plays Luke, he tricks him. And off he rumbles on his mission to Obi-Wan. Indeed, indeed. And uh, episode five, Jedi that was, Jedi to be, starts with Luke and 3PO sneaking out to go after R2. Um, yeah, it's so. it's a pretty fun little scene where uh, they're sneaking out of the house. Yes. C-3PO, are you awake? It's dawn. Oh, Master Luke, is that you? Shh! If my uncle finds out R2 got away, he'll skin me alive. Oh, well, I am fully prepared, sir. I hooked myself up to the charging unit last night. Good. 
I wish I hadn't banged up my skyhopper at Beggar's Canyon. It's going to be a lot tougher to track down R2 in the land speed. Shall I activate the ground level doors? No! No! You want to wake my uncle up? The main power is still shut down for the night. I don't dare turn it back on. Oh, I see. The need for stealth. Yeah, right. <laughs> I see. The need for stealth. <laughs> C-3PO 006. <laughs> yes. Double O oops. Yeah. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, uh, never, never bring 3PO along if stealth is your main priority, please. <laughs> For your own sake. Um, yeah. But yeah, they get out. They And then, well, it's story time while they get out to the wastes in search of R2. Yes. Um, and one other fun little, little tidbit about them sneaking out is 3PO is pushing the land speeder while Luke is manually opening the garage door. Yes. Um, so I just again like that's just a fun visual of just seeing C-3PO pushing the land speeder. Um, I just <laughs> you know I get such a kick out of that of that visual, um, him being so manual when he's when he's C-3PO. Um, but yeah, as they're kind of looking for R two, Luke tells uh, Luke tells C-3PO a story about how he kind of knows who Ben Kenobi is. Um, and, and kind of an early encounter he had when he was younger with this mysterious Ben Kenobi. It'll take us into the wastes. My friend Wendy and I rode out this way on a do-back once. Pardon me, sir, but that sounds rather rash. <laughs> well, we wanted to get out on our own for a while. Yeah. But we were bored. We wanted to let off a little steam. I said I wouldn't know anything about that, sir. The do-back threw us off in one of the canyons and ran away. Got pretty bruised up, and then when it got dark, we still hadn't found our way out. Oh, it was kind of spooked. There were a lot of weird sounds, and then we heard a voice off to one side. A voice? It called my name. It was Ben Kenobi. Somehow Ben found us and guided us back to the farm. He told us a lot about what it was like to live out in the barren lands all alone. In fact, it's difficult to conceive of anyone living out here voluntarily. But you know, a funny thing happened. When Ben took us back, Uncle Owen got real mad. And not at Wendy and me, but at Ben. You were bent off our farm and warned him not to come back. Watch it, 3PO. Watch it, 3PO. Um, <laughs> yeah, like what a neat little story that he he tells. So it it's clear here that, you know, Ben Kenobi isn't just a fabled person he's heard about, but he's someone he's actually encountered. Right. Yeah. And uh, this, this kind of a story is, um, I think it was done in the... Uh, the Star Wars line of comics, um, the most recent um, Star Wars line, uh, the canon Star Wars line of comics, it was uh, retold in one of like the the journals of Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, Ben Kenobi, excuse me, um, stories that were sort of an aside. Um, this kind of story is has been pretty much co opted back into canon. Um, so it's the, the idea of, uh, Obi-Wan finding Luke and, you know, either by himself or with a friend, uh, out in the day, the wastes after dark and, you know, safeguarding him and bringing him back to the farm, uh, is, is pretty, uh, set in, in the canon now. So it's kind of nice to get at least, at least a version of it here. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so once Luke finally does meet up with Ben, and again, obviously the events play out like they do in the movie, when they're having their discussion, though, in Ben's hut, uh, Ben admits to Luke that his crazy hermit look is essentially 
partly on purpose because it helps yep. keep him hidden. Um, so I just I thought that was a neat little tidbit to add. So you know why does Ben appear the way he does? Well, to stay to stay hidden. Um, in plain sight. Yeah. Uh, he also admits to Luke that he had uh, uh, he had tried previously to give Luke his lightsaber, but again, Owen ordered him off the farm. So it's very clear that you know Luke even kind of becomes wise and he says, "You've always been looking out for me, haven't you?" And Ben essentially says, "Well, I've kept an eye on your progress. <laughs> Be yeah. watching your career with great interest." <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Luke, once again, you know, he kind of refuses Ben's invitation to come with him to Alderaan, but he, he takes Luke up on his offer to take him to Anchorhead. So, um, you know, that I actually like this little added detail in this episode because in the movie, it's never clear that Luke is taking Ben to Anchorhead. I mean, again, like, yes, the pieces are there. You, you, you can easily determine why, why is Ben still with Luke? Oh, he's going to take him to Anchorhead. Um, but it's ve- made very explicit in the radio drama that Ben does say to Luke, well, you know what? Fine. It stinks. You won't come with me, but I will take you up on your offer to go to Anchorhead. And he tells Luke that he's going to have to take the droids with him because they're integral to his mission now. Um, mm-hmm. And Luke is all bumming because he's like, oh, man, Uncle Owen's going to be so pissed. <laughs> um, right. But before that can, thought can be even be concluded, they notice smoke on the horizon. They go to the Jawas. And, and this scene is played out from Obi-Wan's perspective and the droids. Yes. Yeah, they they stay behind to uh, tend to the Jawas as Luke races away. Um, and then we get sort of a, a musical time cut and Luke comes back and explains everything that's happened yeah. uh, to to Obi-Wan and, and 3PO and R2. So, yeah. And, and, and he is extremely distraught over what happened to, to Owen and Baru. But he does, he chooses it to, to obviously go with Ben, just like in the movie. But the, I love in the radio drama, he says, they were the only family I had. They're all I had. It really just makes you feel a little bit more how much he just lost. Um, yeah. You know, and, and then the very next episode, episode six, the Millennium Falcon deal opens with Obi-Wan and the droids and Luke obviously on their way to um, Mos Eisley and we continue to play out how distraught Luke is just as he's even driving the land speeder. Luke, huh? You've let us drift off course again. What? Mos Eisley spaceport is that way over that ridge. Oh, yeah, right. That's the third time you've strayed, Luke. If you're tired, I could take over the controls or C-3PO. No, no, no. It's just... I can't get it out of my mind, Ben. What they did to my aunt and uncle. Keep seeing it over and over. I understand, Luke. But I'm all right. Really. He's all right. Really. (laughs) Really. Are you sure about that, Luke? Yeah. You don't sound all right. Yeah. (laughs) But... You know, yeah. I, uh, g- uh, good. Yeah, it, it it it's nice to see that you know obviously in the movie there is a, a definite time cut as they you know make their way across the desert uh, you know to Mos Eisley because uh, we cut straight from the burning sand crawler to uh, Mos Eisley spaceport. Um, so it's it's nice to kind of get this this processing moment with Luke, um, you know. 
it was a it was a long trip over the desert to Mos Eisley for Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nice to kind of get a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, when they get into Mos Eisley, uh, they come into the cantina, um, and and more of the can the cantina story is told again from Ben's perspective. What happens to Luke with Doctor Avizans and Ponda Baba happens more in the background. Um, but what's really neat is we get to see uh, Ben Kenobi meet Chewbacca and, and who puts them in touch. Now, this character is not named in the radio drama, but based on who Ben is kind of talking to briefly before talking to Chewbacca in the movie is this character named Boshek. Um, and Boshek is a character that was beloved by is beloved by fans for all sorts of reasons, even though we see him on screen for all of three seconds. But uh, Ben... He got an action figure, so... <laughs> yes, that's right. He did get an action figure. Um, so that's how you know you've made it in the Star Wars world. Um, yep. But uh, Ben Ben has this conversation with Boshek because he's essentially looking for a pilot, and specifically a Karelian pilot. You're a Karelian spacer, are you not? What about it? I'm in the market to charter a fast starship, and I've been told by those in the know that the Karelian vessels are among the very best. You heard right. Except that Corellians aren't among. We are the best. Ah, splendid. And would you by any chance know of a starship that's available for hire? If you'd have come in here yesterday, you could have had mine. But I'm committed to a charter. I raise ship tonight. A pity. Uh, perhaps you could recommend someone else. Well, there aren't too many Corellians in port right now. And anybody else would be just a second rater. Let's see now. Oh, yeah, there's the Falcon. Falcon? The Millennium Falcon. Han Solo ship. And would this uh, Han Solo be available at present for a job? <laughs> I'd be surprised if he wasn't. <laughs> I ain't been doing so well lately. He was around here a little while ago. In fact, there's his first mate standing over there. Mm-hmm. The giant shaggy one. A Wookiee. That's right, but a damn good first mate and co-pilot all the same. Hey, Chewbacca, come here. I got somebody for you to meet. Here's your drink, Ben. Hey, Chewbacca. Hey, Chewbacca. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, we get to see that play out in, in this, uh, in the, in the show, you know, um, we see Ben get connected to Chewbacca. Uh, and it's great. It's a great little moment. It is a fun little moment. And, uh, just the, the level of respect that Obi-Wan puts you know uh make sure chewbacca is treated with by you know not only himself but luke who's never seen a wookiee before oh my gosh you know that sort of thing you know is is really kind of cool so it's like hey you know they're not just big shaggy you know apes essentially they've they're very noble and and skilled uh you know and and it comes up in a later episode too um when in regards to the hollow chest table you know you know he probably plays chewbacca oh really the wookiee well yeah no he's a lot more than you think he is so obi-wan is very deliberate in uh making sure chewbacca is respected Mm. so yeah yeah and while they're making their deal with han um, there's some drama going out, going on outside the cantina with 3PO and R2 as they're trying to hide from the, the Imperial Stormtrooper search party. And we see 3PO for the first time 
tell some lies and get a little creative in order to avoid being detected by the Imperials, the Imperial troops. Uh. Hey, 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 what says? What are you two doing standing there? Well, uh, our master instructed us to wait here, sir. He's canvassing the area to see if anyone wants any household maintenance jobs done. Well, don't stand right here on my lot, you half-wit. People will think you belong to me. Oh. I got enough trouble selling these old clunkers without you hanging around confusing things. Now move! Moving, sir. <laughs> Moving, sir. <laughs> so, 3PO gets the idea, you know, as the, the stormtroopers are looking for wandering droids... 3PO plants himself in R2 on this guy's property who sells droids and clearly owns the droids he's selling to make it basically play off that we belong to this person. We are not at we are not the ones you're looking for. <laughs> you know, so exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's it's pretty creative and pretty clever. Um I I like it. Uh it's you know uh it's a fun little moment where he's like, Oh, quick R2, just stand at the end of the line. You know, <laughs> and they, yeah, and they do. Stop. Yep, yep. Um, and and again, like I think it's just so brilliant because it ties back into that command override that Leia gave them on the Tana Fort. Right, uh, you can do whatever you need to to complete this mission, even lie. And three PO allows himself to tell a lie. <laughs> yes, which is very much against his programming. Uh, <laughs> I. I can't remember if it's this moment or uh, when they're avoiding the stormtroopers later. Um, when he he tell when he's upset with R two for his deceit rubbing off on with R two's deceit rubbing off on him. I think it <laughs> might be when they're on the Death Star um, and he lies about you know he needed to take R two down to maintenance. Um, but I, I think he, he's very upset with R two's deceit mm. um, rubbing off on him. So. Yeah, yeah, R. Three PO is not as as pleased about telling these lies. Um, no. So, uh, moving into Episode Seven, the Han Solo solution, uh, we once again get some more neat added material here. Um, and uh, you know, while while Luke and Ben are kind of walking out of the cantina, you know, with with the intention of selling Luke's speeder to make the money they need for at least the down payment, Ben kind of tells Luke straight up, like, listen. Han may seem like a jerk, but there's got to be more to him than meets the eye because not anybody can befriend a Wookiee like that. The fact that Chewbacca is with Han Solo, according to Ben, indicates that there's more to Han than meets the eye. And same with Chewie. Um, And again, it's just like this nice little reminder that, you know, uh, you know, Han is he's got that heart of gold. It's just buried. Right, right. And that's sort of hinted at from the very beginning is that Han is Han is more than he appears that there's got to be more than just the the smugglers tough exterior that he's got to be uh, a better sort of person. And Obi-Wan picks up on that and, and mentions it several times. And uh, because he does that to Luke, Luke believes it. And that really um, comes into play later on in, in the story. So, yeah. Um, and, and then we actually get the the moment where Luke sells his speeder. Um, he needs the two uh, needs two thousand credits, but he has some trouble convincing uh, the potential buyer and to paying that price. So Ben Kenobi, of course, has to get involved. That isn't enough. That isn't enough. This speeder is worth more 
The speeder is worth more. He can have his 2,000. Yes, you can have your 2,000, young human. Thanks. Here, press your thumbprint on the transfer register. And here is your money. Uh, let's be off, Luke. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Do I grow senile? Am I in second grubhood to fall prey so easily to a pair of humans? <laughs> I love this character that buys the uh, the speeder. <laughs> Me too. I was hoping you would include his, <laughs> you know, questioning of everything to himself uh, as they left because it's it's so funny and it's it's not a necessary moment because you know they they got the money they they this the objective of the scene is is complete they sold the speeder um they got the money that they need to pay han that's the objective of this scene but they just sort of give this character just a little extra as he sort of questions what just happened you know am i growing senile have I entered second grubhood to be taken by a couple of humans? <laughs> I I love this character a lot, so I'm yeah. glad you included that that little extra moment. Yeah, well, when I was listening through it this time, it, for whatever reason, it just struck me. I'm like, ooh, this is very similar to when Qui-Gon uses the Force to influence Boss Nass in Phantom mm-hmm. Menace. Because I think ordinarily Ben Kenobi would not use the force to wiggle more money out of someone, right? Like that does seem a bit beneath a Jedi, but just like with Qui-Gon, he's got a very clear cut mission that they need to get to. Like time is of the essence. So sometimes you just have to bend the rules a little bit. So like it kind of gave me a neat appreciation and connection to his former master and, you know, that willingness to sometimes uh, to bend the rules a bit to get what needs to get done done. Yeah, and he he mentions that in the next scene to Luke that you know I wouldn't normally do that, but you know we have to this we need this money we got to get through this so this is not a normal use of the Force for a Jedi so right he lays that out for Luke so yeah um and then we go back to Han's perspective Han is Han runs into obviously a, a contact of his own a character named Squeak which I I love this character. And Squeak wants to hire him for a job, and uh, it's going to pay a lot more up front than what he's about to make. So he essentially says, sounds great. He doesn't mind dumping Ben and Luke. Chewie gets all pissed off at him, though. Like, hey, you mm-hmm. gave your word to these other people. And, uh, you know, so again, like Chewie's going to speak up against Han's selfishness. Um, but Squeak, unfortunately, has a little particular part of the deal that doesn't work for Han, which is the only reason he doesn't follow through with Squeak. But let's let's check out this little scene, and mainly just you got to hear the adorableness that is the voice of Squeak. What's wrong with the work? Nothing. Look, wait over there for a second, will you? What's eating you? Well, I don't care what happens to the old man or that kid. This is real life, not some kind of game. Hey, Squeak. Yeah. Tell Big Bungie he's got himself a starship. Now you're talking. Okay, what's the deal? A load of chocolate and doing tomorrow. You take it from here. Tomorrow? Look, we're hot and we're rapidly going critical. Jabba and Eater are on our necks, and the stormtroopers are probably after us too by now. Tell Bungie to find someone else. Hey, listen to me. Scram, Squeak. Okay, I'm sure. Okay, Con, sure. <laughs> God, I love Squeak. Um, makes, me wonder, makes me wonder if that was Mark Hamill reading squeaks lines that they just pitched way up. Ooh, I wonder. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's probably in the closing credits. Um, I didn't think to look into that. Um, yeah, I don't know, but, but 
it's, it's a great, it's funny. yeah, and it's a again, it's a great moment that shows Han's number one priority is himself and making his own money. Um, mm-hmm. But we're also introduced to the fact that there's this this other ca- character who works in league with Jabba named Heater. We've never heard of Heater before. He's not in, he's not mentioned at all in the movie. Nope. Um, but after his encounter with Squeak, he goes to the hangar to the Falcon, and Heater is waiting for him there. And Heater is essentially. Uh, the, this scene between Han and Heater is the exact same scene that we get in the deleted scene from A New Hope, which is, you know, if you don't, if you cross me again, you're never going to be able to set foot in a civilized system. So you have mm-hmm. an, this other character, another intermediary for Jabba and the character of Heater, and Han has this little conversation with him and is able to talk his way out of it because um, yeah. you know he's able to do that every time. Yeah, and this this is the scene that gets uh, repurposed to the special edition with Jabba uh, and Han. So, um, you know, they 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 repurposed it in the special edition with Jabba. Um, but yeah, in this in this version, it's it's Heater. It's the e- e- intermediary, and Jabba Jabba doesn't visit. Uh, but of course, this was done before Star Wars: Return Episode. of the Jedi was um, was made. So Jabba hadn't been introduced as a fully fleshed out character yet. Right. So. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it plays out like the movie with their escape from the, you know, the spaceport um, and, and heading off into light speed. Um, and then we go into episode eight, Death Star's Transit. Um, and this episode has a, has a lot of Imperial stuff, which is really cool because we don't get it um, again. And most of this stuff in the movie uh, it, it opens with uh, Vader taking Leia to the Death Star, and he kind of he's kind of doing his weird flex, bro, where he's like, "Hey, look out the viewport!" You know, they're still on the Devastator, and he says, "Look at that!" And she's like, "Oh crap, the Death Star!" And he's like, "That's right, <laughs> we built that." <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, you know, trying to intimidate out of her the information about the stolen plans, and warns her, "If you don't tell me now, it's going to get worse for you on the Death Star." And of course, she relents. Um, but then we get. One of my favorite things in the New Hope radio drama, there is this uh, Imperial High Command treasonous story going on. Again, this is not in the movie at all, but uh, Admiral Mahdi, General Tag, mostly Admiral Mahdi, is going to start planting seeds of treason in Grand Moff Tarkin, since Tarkin is in control of the Death Star. And... You know, we get this really neat scene um, where General Tag and Mahdi are kind of arguing about the threat of the rebellion. And Tag basically says, you know, Vader and that, you know, he's he's a problem. You know, he's he's making us look bad. So it's kind of neat that kind of it, it kind of indicates that the the higher ups in command of the Imperial Navy are very skeptical of Vader still at this point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the Vader operates outside of the chain of command, you know, at the whim of the Emperor, usually. Um, so that that's a problem for, for anyone who hopes to work their way up, make their own moves, that sort of thing. Because he isn't really, he is not beholden to anyone, really, except the Emperor. Uh, and he's got plenty of wiggle room. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and... Again, we are, we're going to get mention of emergency power. So when Tarkin comes into the room and kind of breaks up the conversation and informs them that the the Senate, the Imperial Senate has finally been disbanded. 
and tag and some of the others are like, wait, what, how does that even happen? How, how could he do that? And Tarkin shares, well, the emperor has invoked some more emergency powers because these rebel, these rebels are so fanatical. He needs to maintain order. So he's abolished the Senate so that he can kind of streamline his initiative. So again, while this is obviously written years before the prequels, it was just neat to see that that language of emergency powers, because that's exactly what Palpatine pulls in episodes two and three. Exactly. And it's just more and more and more. Uh, until everything's, you know, the way he wants it. So Senate's abolished, and now it's just the Emperor and his governors, his regional governors. Yeah. Um, So we this is the episode where we get the scene where Vader torches tortures Leia. And it's pretty it's pretty brutal, man. Like it's it's really it's really messed up. Um should I even bother playing the clip? Like, is it worth playing? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, you know, it might be because it, it really showcases, you know, so, you know, kind of what she might've gone through, you know, at the hands of Vader. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So we finally learn how that torture droid works. It essentially um, injects Leia with uh, some sort of mind control drug. And Vader is going to use that to his advantage. Listen to my voice. You are now in great pain, excruciating pain, pain, a universe of it, your world is nothing but pain, tell me what I wish to know, tell me what I wish to know, where are the plans, your skin is afire, you're burning, your nerve endings are in flames, your flesh is being torn apart. I will when you've told me where the plans are. You're dying in torment. I think you get the picture. <laughs> yeah, it keeps going. Um, yeah. And and it's it's a lot. And Anne Sachs does a terrific job, you know, playing all of it. And Brock Peters is terrifying. Um, it's It's one of the more... Intent. It is probably the most intense moment in the entire uh, radio drama. Yeah, um, without question. And it, it it just the clip may not seem as intense, but the build up and everything when you're actually listening to everything, it's it's scary yeah. um, and and not good. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, and actually, so this is uh, a behind the scenes note. Um, after they recorded that session, um, Brock Peters, he just felt so distraught for what Ann Sachs just had to to vocalize that he went up and gave her a hug afterwards. But he noted that she was trembling and she she even admitted that she was kind of afraid of him after recording that scene for a little bit. Yeah. Like it was it was that that's how intense and how into that 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 moment the two of them got. And, uh, you know, I think that really speaks to it. Um yeah, it's, it was. It's brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal for us to listen to, and it was brutal for them to perform. So yeah, and um, that was just but, some of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's long. It. it goes on. Yeah. It goes on, and it, that's part of why it's so brutal is because it doesn't stop. Yeah, until he's practically, you know, catatonic. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it, it really indicates what a monster Darth Vader is. Um, yeah. So. 
we get a respite from that that horribleness with again like i said earlier this this plan that admiral Mahdi is going to start bringing to tarkin and he's going to basically say to tarkin hey you're in control of this fully operational death star you are really in a sense more powerful than the emperor and he's going to start planting these seeds of treasonous thought for Tarkin. I'll have in your hand the power of life and death over every living thing in the galaxy. Life and death. Ultimate power. It rests with you now. And with the Emperor, of course. To be sure, Governor, that's what I meant. Only the Emperor is far from here. Actual command of the Death Star is yours. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Mm. I... I have issues a little bit with this subplot. Um, I don't have issues with Mahdi trying to to sway Tarkin. I have issues with the fact that it seems Tarkin is being swayed uh, throughout the, the the episodes because this comes back up later. Um, because Tarkin is a very strong personality. He is in control. He is in command, and we see that in the movies. You know, not only in uh, you know. Uh, a New Hope, but in Rogue One, we see it in uh, the Clone Wars and in Rebels. He's in command. He is his own man. He, Vader, and the Emperor are like the top uh, in the Empire. And they don't feel threatened by each other, really. You know, they know where they stand. And they really kind of are the, the top three in the empire uh, is kind of what it, what it appears to be, um, you know, with things like that. And so the fact that I have no problem with Madi bringing this up, I have a problem that they play it like Tarkin's listening and not just discounting Madi. Hmm. Uh, so that's the only issue I have with the entire radio drama. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that's, but that that's that's my only issue with this sure. subplot. Well, and we're going to come back to that subplot because it kind of reaches its full reaches its fullness towards the very end of the radio drama. Um, but exactly. just just to to offer the reason I actually do enjoy it. So kind of to, to counter what you're saying and and what you're saying is yeah you know, totally valid. Um, the reason I think it actually kind of does work, and and this is just to discount obviously all the stuff we've learned about Tarkin since the radio drama. But I think from the limited understanding of who Tarkin was as a character in 1981, it's clear that, and, and the story they're choosing to tell with him here in the radio drama is that he's a power hungry person and yes. he wants as much power as possible. And the only two people more powerful than him are Vader and the emperor. And here is his kind of his vehicle to surpassing them in power. So I actually do like that. He is hearing Mahdi's ideas because Mahdi's essentially going to say, you've got a lot of loyal officers to you. And Tarkin is a power-hungry person. You don't want to and, – and with that sort of mentality, you don't want to stop till you've reached the top spot. So I, like, I do enjoy that he's, he's willing to possibly play out this idea. Um, I mean it's a fair enough reason to enjoy it. Uh, but like I said, it, I, I like – the other version of Tarkin and uh, the fact that uh, Mahdi has always seemed like such a sniveling character mm -hmm. that the fact that somebody as, as you know, strict and in command of himself and of his surroundings as Tarkin is giving Mahdi the time of day like this um, is just 
you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like it. it yeah. Honestly, to be perfectly honest, it probably would. I probably would have accepted this subplot more if Tag was the one. Yeah. Bring it up. But Tag isn't power hungry, though. That's the problem. Right. So, right, right. Tag is more respectable, but he's not power hungry. Yes. Madi's power hungry and sniveling. And that's, you know, so I'm kind of caught. It's just, I don't know. It, that's my only issue. But like yeah. I said, you, you're perfectly fine enjoying it. I, I love that people do like it. It's, and I don't dislike it, you know, to a huge amount. It's just like, it's not the way I would have done it. And I, I don't, that's one little detour that I'm, I could, I would have been fine without. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, Tarkin essentially says, you know, Vader, I've got an idea of how to get Talia to, to share with us where the rebels are. And he indicates he's going to blow up Alderaan. And Vader gets really upset with Tarkin. He's like, whoa, Alderaan is a core planet. You better talk to the Emperor first. Get the okay. And Tarkin shoots him right down. And he says, how dare you question me? The Emperor has put me in command. I can do whatever I darn well please. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know. And pulls the trigger and tricks Leia. Obviously, she gives him a fake location, but he, tra- he his tactic seems to work. He blows up Alderaan. And again, here's where Anne Sachs just to me really, really shows how great she is at playing Leia because I've never felt any emotion in this scene in the movie. I'm just being honest. Like, I've, I'm just like, oh, that's terrible. They blow up a planet. But we have no connection to Alderaan. We have no Leia doesn't seem to imply any strong particular connections herself we haven't seen her interact with any of her family or anyone from Alderaan so to me in the movie this has always been a very hollow moment um and that's my perspective but I love Leia's reaction here in the radio drama oh Tarkin if ever there was a shred of humanity in you or these twisted creatures of yours it's dead now you're at war with life itself you are enemies of the universe your empire is doomed. Take her away. Oh, yeah. like that's like I just I just love those that that fire she spits at Tarkin, even in the midst of her pain and agony. And you really do feel her agony. I feel mm-hmm. like in this moment, but she she pulls out a the deepest truth of why Ta- Tarkin to me is one of the worst monsters in star Wars is he doesn't care about life. Nothing matters to him except power. Um, and, and that's where Leia spits some hard truth at him. People like you who stand in the way of life itself, you crumble because life will roll right over you. <laughs> and I, and I love Leia spitting that at him. Yeah. Now th- this episode is definitely, uh, showcases, and Sachs as Leia in, you know, in ways that are, is just amazing. She does incredibly well. And, you know, I, I love, I love her portrayal in the radio drama and, and this is her shining episode. Yeah, absolutely. Star is. Wars. Um, sorry, everybody. You keep hearing the introduction. I have to, I have to queue up the next episode so I can pull up the, the clips that I want to play. So I apologize that you keep having to hear the, the beginning of it. Um, so rolling right along into episode nine, Rogues, Rebels, and Robots, uh, we get a lot of extended stuff on board the Falcon as they're on their way to, uh, to Alderaan. And yeah. one of my favorite parts of this is uh, Luke gets some much, uh, much more extended lightsaber training. And we see 
Obi-Wan kind of teaching him some of the basic forms of how to handle a lightsaber. And what's interesting to note is, is Ben points out to Luke in this scene that normally I wouldn't start a pupil of mine with lightsaber combat as their first mode of training as a Jedi. He says, normally I would introduce you just to how, just learning how to be quiet and to be attuned and listen to the force. But because of these dire circumstances we find ourselves in, I'm going to accelerate your training a bit. But we do get this really neat moment where he's going to, like I said, teach Luke some of the basic forms of light, lightsaber combat by um, showing that to him. Oops, crap. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I, ah, darn it. The uh, Star. way I am cueing this stuff up is not working as easily as I want. All right, here we go. Here is the clip of <laughs> Ben Kenobi teaching Luke some, some of the basic forms of lightsaber awesome. combat. Feels pretty good. I watch and I shall demonstrate the basic drill. From the ready position into the first defensive posture. And the second, third, fourth. Continuing the circular motion with a sweep of the blade like so. And back again into the ready position. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like it. And he, he essentially uses the lightsaber training as a way to focus Luke's mind and get him into connection with the force, you know, mm -hmm. rather than going through the whole process of developing the connection first. He uses the lightsaber training as sort of a shortcut to all of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and he expresses to Luke that uh, ultimately the force works when you choose to believe in it. Um, and, and he really uh, uh, hits, hits hard to Luke that the, more, the most important part of being a Jedi is believing that you can use the force simply trusting in it, simply believing in it. And he offers to be Luke's intermediary. Um, and I just, I feel like that scene and, and that dialogue, which again, it's, it's not in the movie. It's something added here. And I, I again, feel like it adds so much spe specifically to the way the movie ends when Luke is hearing Ben's voice in the, in the death star trench run. And Ben really is this intermediary. He's reminding him, trust the force, trust the force. And in this moment here on the Falcon is where he's kind of telling Luke, this is how the force works. You have to believe in it. You have to trust in it. And I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to be the voice uh, that, that guides you into that trust. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really great. It's a, a lot of really, really cool expanded stuff. Um, about the force and the training and everything like that. I will say one of my favorite moments is a really funny moment where uh, Luke gets overexcited and wants to do a practice duel with Ben and Ben's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Um, so he's, he's, you know, what if we, you know, we went really slow and took it very carefully and Ben's like, no, no, <laughs> no. Uh, we have to get, you, you get a lot more to learn before we get to that point. So, um, <laughs> but Luke is just like all gung ho about everything and he keeps wanting to uh, do more than than where he's at, you know, and uh, shows a little bit of impatience on Luke's part. So, yeah, and it's it's clear that Brian Daly wrote the script shortly after Empire Strikes Back because he's really playing up that impatient side of Luke. Yeah. Um, anytime Darth Vader is brought up, he immediately is like the one who killed my father, and and Ben's always like, "Yo, yo, yo, calm down, bro. Slow your roll." Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and Luke has this great line in, in, in that episode, too, where he says, I have to 
crawl before I walk. And Ben chuckles and he says, quite right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so uh, going into episode 10, the Luke Skywalker initiative, there's actually not much in in this early Death Star stuff um, that's any different from the movie, really. Uh, the biggest thing is essentially the idea to hide in the smuggling compartments and then disguise Luke and Han as stormtroopers. That all comes from Ben, Ben Kenobi's ideas. Here's what you need to do. And as I was listening to him, you know, kind of hatch this plot to, to Han and Luke and Chewie, it's like, Oh, this is general Kenobi slipping back into his role in the clone wars, you know, knowing (laughs) how to infiltrate an enemy base. Yeah. That that's that's a great way to to work it into the story, and I like it. But um, you know, it, it's also just part of the technical aspect of making it a radio play. Somebody has to come up with the idea and explain the idea in order for us to picture them doing it when it actually happens. And they just picked Obi Wan this time to sort of be the uh, the general, so to speak, uh, as they outwit and hide from the stormtroopers. So. Yep. Um, so that's that's really the only thing that I found kind of unique in episode 10. Episode yep. 11, the Jedi Nexus. Uh, again, we have everything playing out with their escape on the Death Star through the trash compactor and, um, you know, the shootout with the stormtroopers. All that stuff is in this episode. Um, but to me, some of the neat uh, additions um, is specifically, you know, after Luke and Leia go their direction and Han and Chewie go in their direction. Han and Chewie are the first ones to make it back to the Falcon. And uh, Han has some ideas that he expressed to Chewie about uh, about how long they should really wait for the rest of the, the folks. Way around to the ship. That squeak was too close for me. If we get back to her, I say we make a break right away, whether the rest of them are there or not. Come on, we don't owe nobody nothing. Nobody but us, that is. Did they care about us when they dragged us into this crazy deal? So why should we stick around and maybe get burned down for them? One chance to get out of here with our skins may be all we get, Chewie. Come on, fur face, you're gonna ruin our reputations. All right, let's get back first and see what happens from there. But whatever those rebels offer us for getting that princess back, I want at least twice as much. I want at least twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I I love that this is, of course, how Han probably really would be reacting in this moment. Hey, we're back. The hell with everybody else. Let's just get out of here. But once again, I mean, and this is something that I especially love in light of Solo, the movie, um, is really how clearly Chewie has become Han's conscience. Um, oh, yeah. Han just wants to go. Let's just do. Let's look out for ourselves. And, and, and again, we don't know exactly what Chewie's saying. I mean, we know he's disagreeing with Han and pushing back. We don't know exactly what he says, but it's just a nice little, you know, just a little moment that reminds you that Han obviously does have a good heart and Chewie's the one who's going to remind him of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's bringing back Obi-Wan's, you know, insight into Han, you know, uh, yet again. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a good little moment. And we get a couple of little asides that happen, you know, sort of between cuts, so to speak, um, as they are racing through the Death Star, um, trying to escape. Uh, Luke gives Leia a quick recap of, of how he he 
wound up in all of this, you know, as they're hiding in a storage compartment. Um, <laughs> so before the stormtroopers find them again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I love that little moment just cause again, as a, as a huge fan of menace fan, uh, you know, cause again, there's only so much, so much dialogue you can write for action scenes. So that Brian Daly chooses to have this quiet moment where Leia basically says, Hey, how'd you get involved with this? And Luke catches her up on the story. It reminds me of that moment in Phantom Menace when Padme and Jar Jar first meet. And she says, how did you get here? And then, boom, Jar Jar launches into his story. You know, Misa Day on Pretty Okie Day with a brisky morning munching. <laughs> getting very scared and grabbing that Jedi and pow, Misa here. <laughs> so Jar Jar is more oh, succinct yeah. than Luke, but <laughs> yes. yes, but it's just like it's a neat little moment. It just even, you know, especially as a radio play, you know, I, I actually I wish I had looked this up. I don't know how I don't know if this was all released at once or if they were one episode a day, one episode a week. I'm not sure. But, you know, we're kind of coming towards the end of the, the radio drama at this point. So it's a nice little moment just to take stock and remind us where our story has been up until now. Right. I'm actually going to uh, look that up real quick. Cool. Well, as you're looking that up, uh, I'll hit on just uh, one more uh, point from this episode is obviously we get the duel between Vader and, and Kenobi. And what's interesting is when Obi-Wan gets cut down, obviously, yes, he does yell to Luke, run, Luke, run. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the movie, he says to Vader, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. In the radio drama, he says this to Vader after Vader strikes him down. So Vader strikes down Ben, and then Ben says this. By striking me down... You have made me more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I just, I mean, I guess I didn't need to play that because it's just his saying that line. But again, just the ev- the effect they choose to use here over the dialogue gives it this kind of ghostly, mysterious sounding um, voice. And as I was listening through it this time in light of um, obviously, you know, uh, earlier in the year, um, uh, some folks put together a radio play of the Duel of the Fates script that Colin Trevorrow had written for episode nine. And of course, we had the creator of that on the show a while back. Um, and one of the plot points in the original episode nine script by Trevorrow was that Luke was going to kind of come back as a force ghost and haunt Kylo Ren um, and kind of keep you know digging him for choosing the wrong way. And I loved this idea, though, in the radio drama that Vader can hear Kenobi after he's dead, after he's become one with the Force. And it just got me thinking, how cool would it have been if in Empire Strikes Back we had a moment while Vader's in his meditation chamber where Kenobi shows up and starts kind of haunting him as a Force ghost. Mm, that would have been that would have been fun. Yeah. So. Um, did you find the information you were looking for? Um, no, I'm, I'm still looking. Well, I would say... Don't worry about it. <laughs> if, if somebody knows, feel free to let us know. Um, so as we kind of just continue to, to plow ahead here, uh, we're almost almost done. I got a, just a couple episodes left here. Uh, yes. Uh, it, we get to episode 12, The Case for Rebellion. And this is, you know, after they've made their escape from the Death Star, they've gotten through the TIE fighter fight. And uh, they show up on Yavin 4. And Han is very quick to demand his payment from the rebel leadership. And they're really pissed at him because they're like, listen, we're on a rebel secret base. We don't have cash just laying around. Um, <laughs> so they so he says, well, I'm sure you have some like precious metals and gadgetry I could use to sell. 
And they, they reluctantly agree to do it because he says, listen, if you don't pay me what I'm owed, I'm going to tell every other smuggler, don't ever throw in the rebellion because they'll cheat you. You know, so like Han's playing them kind of dirty. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, the rebel leaders aren't a fan of Han immediately. But Leia's like, listen, he did. We, we offered him something. We got to follow through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, she, she's going to make sure that he gets what he asks for, um, even though she will make sure that she expresses her disappointment with the way that he is taking things. So <laughs> for sure. But, um, um, well, then we get one of one of my favorite scenes in the radio drama is and again, this is a scene obviously not in the movie is mm-hmm. Han goes to freshen up a bit. Uh, he's in what seems to be a locker room because we hear him like splashing water on his face and stuff. And Luke comes in to try to uh, change Han's mind to stay and help in the fight um, and essentially tells Han, you know, it, this would give you some meaning to your life. And when Han learns that Luke is going to join up in the fight against the Death Star, he's going to, you know, he wants to hop into an X-Wing and take the fight. Han then which, and shows how much he cares about Luke because he tries to talk Luke out of joining up. So, um, Let's check out this scene real quick. Yeah. Commander Willard said they need pilots. I'm going to volunteer. What? Luke, do you know what I saw when I was getting us out of that battle station? I don't care. Besides all the cannon and missile tubes and that big planet killer, it's got fighter bays. Lots of them. And those Imperial pilots are pros. I know it'll be dangerous. And do you happen to know what a green pilot's life expectancy is in combat? At least I'll try. What about you? You and Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon could make all the difference. On your crap pilot, a veteran, why can't you... Because I used up my time. And more. Long ago. Um, I love that. I love that little moment. Um, It's a really good scene. Yeah, and there, and there, to be fair, it's it's longer than that. The argument goes on a bit longer. Han then bumps into Leia and tries to talk Leia into talking Luke out of joining up. And Leia's yes. like, "No, Han, I I I believe in what Luke is. Luke is making a a very brave choice, and I stand with him." And Han just obviously thinks they're all suicidal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Han thinks everyone is, at this rebel base is just playing into their own death and he's going to get out of there before they do so. Um, so that's, that's, that's his stance on the issue and no one is really, you know, he, he's not going to be talked out of his position except, you know, by Chewie. Um, later. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. but the, the fun part doesn't end there uh, because we get a reunion between Luke Skywalker and Biggs Darklighter. Uh, and this reunion is more than just the, oh, hey, it's you, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the hangar bay before they leave for the fight that we got in the movie. Luke has to go get tested, you know, has to take a pilot's test, essentially, uh, to see if he qualifies to fly an X-Wing. And uh, who is uh, running his flight simulator? Well, it's Biggs. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, they Biggs puts him through the the flight simulator and he dies twice, which is way better than most of the people that are going up in X-Wings uh in this battle today. So, uh it was uh it was quite the quite the successful flight uh test and they're going to be 
flying together in the sky against the Empire together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I apologize I didn't queue up any, any clips from this because it, it is a very exciting little moment with Luke and the flight simulator um, having to prove his chops before they're going to give him uh, an X-Wing to take up into the into the fight. They want to make right. sure he's not going to screw anything up or hurt his own wingmen. Um, but yeah, it's a great little scene. And, and again, it, it, drawing back to that very first episode where we really see the bond between these two characters, it, it's, it's immediately br- picked back up in the, in this moment when Luke is, is all excited. And, you know, he, when he says to Biggs, I told you I'd make it one day, it just, it rings more true in this version to me. Um, yeah, there's, there is well, a tremendous joy in, in them believing they're going to be unstoppable now that they're together again. Yeah. Uh, one one little moment in that scene that I really enjoy um, is Leia comes in to see how he's doing uh, at the end of his uh, his flight simulation and uh, to to let him know what Han is up to. Uh, but she comes in and Luke just very casually introduces her to Biggs, and Biggs is you know all like, "Oh, uh, hi, yes, Princess. Um, I need to." You know, he's, he, you can be- <laughs> practically hear him trying to decide if he should be saluting or getting into conversation. And this is making him very uncomfortable. And then finally, he's just like, I got to go take these test results um, <laughs> and leaves. So <laughs> it's just so it's really funny to watch how, you know, Luke is super comfortable talking to the princess of Alderaan um, and see how the rest of the rebellion views her. Uh, through Biggs, so uh, I I always like that little moment. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, so final episode, episode thirteen, Force Encounter Force. Uh, just a quick little side note for those of you still with us. We don't normally go this long anymore, but this is a lot of material, and we really wanted to cover it in one episode. So hopefully you're, you're enjoying this as much as we are. Um, so this episode opens uh, with once again a scene with uh, Mahdi trying to convince Tarkin to essentially take control of the Empire. And yep. like you alluded to earlier, Jason, Tarkin's starting to listen. Yeah, this is this is the scene where I'm like, no, stop it. Um, but, it, it, you know, not like it goes anywhere different than the movie, but stop. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's there. Um and uh, Mahdi's a definitely a, a snake oil salesman uh, in Tarkin's ear, uh, which I think is part of why I don't like it as much because I just Mahdi has always just been so slimy to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to be fair, the 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 majority of this episode plays out like it does in the movie with the you know the um, the Battle of Yavin. Um, you know, and again, when begs begs gets taken out, you do feel that a bit more, I would say, just because of how well they've established the relationship between Luke and Biggs and the radio drama. Um, but it does then go back inside the Death Star. We go back to Tarkin one final time um, before the Death Star is destroyed. And I, and I think this is probably the point that sticks in your craw, Jason, uh, mm-hmm. when they chose to play the scene literally in an opposite direction from the way it plays out in the movie. 
when Tarkin is offered the opportunity to retreat. As you say, still, perhaps caution is warranted. Uh, prepare my ship in case it seems more advisable for me to depart the Death Star. Governor Tarkin, pardon me, sir, but you mustn't consider relinquishing your command, even temporarily. Why not? This battle station is the source of your influence and power. If you show that you can be made to abandon it, you undermine your hope of gaining supreme rank in the Empire. You... So, yeah, totally different uh, scenario. Here, yeah. Tarkin says, maybe I should retreat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this is my issue. This is the cornerstone of my issue with this whole subplot is Tarkin is like, I should probably do this. And Monty's like, no, 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 you shouldn't. And then, of course, you know, towards the end of the scene, the aide comes in and, you know, says, should I have your ship standing by? And Tarkin's like, evacuated our moment of time? I think you overestimate the chances. You know, he, he says the line from the movie, but they give the impression that he was actually planning to leave uh, instead, you know, before Mahdi jumped in. So that's, yes, you're right. This is where I have my issue. It is this moment. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. And to be fair, but, I, don't, I don't particularly like that either. It's like, oh, I don't think he would leave. So, yeah, no. Um, I will say one interesting thing about um, the retelling of the, the battle, uh, the Death Star battle, is that it is all done in the Rebel War Room. Mm, yeah, good uh, call. It, it's, uh, you know, all the interaction between the pilots, you know, and, and everything is, is tracked from the Rebel War Room, and you're hearing them through, like, the speakers and everything, like, you know, so that way they can, you know, tell the story of how it happens better. Uh, that, because it is such a visual scene uh, in the movie, so uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, oops, yeah. So, um, what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah, the the space battle pretty much uh, plays out like it does in the movie. Um, but then right before the end, we get this great little moment where Han and Luke and Chewie are together. Um, kind of change, getting nice and neat and looking all spiffy for the, the award ceremony. Um, and Han and Luke have this really tender moment together. And I, th- I think it's quite lovely, especially when you kind of weigh the fact that Luke just now lost Biggs, his closest friend. So yes, he's lost Ben, his mentor. He lost his family figures in Owen and Brew, but now he's just also lost his closest buddy. And in a, in a kind of a lovely little moment, Han kind of steps into that role and and opens up to Luke for even just a little bit and, and expresses to Luke that he is sad for Luke. Like, I'm sorry for all the people you just lost. And Luke kind of voices back to Han. He, you know, he's thank you, Han, for, for saying that. But it, Luke kind of says, you know, I'm really shocked just how much has changed in my life so quickly. And I just I love that. You know, obviously, this isn't said in the movie, but it is really true in, in a matter of what, maybe two days Luke's life is off on this crazy, huge new trajectory. And I just love that again, in that mythical sense of, you know, this all great myths happen very quickly in a lot of ways. And because something big comes into your life and then nothing will be the same again. And and I think that's just so true of, of life experiences when something really big kind of inserts itself into your life, things change very quickly for you. Yeah. No, it really does, and it's a it's a very nice little scene right before they um, they go down the aisle, so to speak, to, <laughs> to receive their medals. Um, which I love the the medal ceremony sequence 
in here because it's basically Han like he's embarrassed about the fact that he's going in here. And so when Han is embarrassed, he cracks jokes. Um, and so he's like, you know, kind of joking and snickering aside to Luke and Luke's kind of trying to not engage, but is getting pulled into it. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're making little snarky remarks to, to Leia uh, up on the dais as she's getting ready to present them the medals. And it's, it's just, it's funny because you see the goofy grins on the actors' faces in the movie. And so they kind of give us a little bit of filler for why they're grinning like idiots, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the film. Yeah. Uh, well, in one of the, the final pieces I love that we get fleshed out in the radio drama is Han admits why he came back. Cause Luke's going to ask him, Hey, why'd you come back? And Han has an answer that I absolutely love. Something they believed in. What made you come back, Han? Uh, the Wookiee here got stubborn about it. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, he did give me an argument. Besides, I, I did some thinking about what you and Ben and her highness said. and I don't know. A few things that happened to me along the way. So I turned the Falcon around. Maybe it's time I tried a steady job. <laughs> so there you go. In the radio drama, and it, it was made canon that Clearly, and I still think this is true, you know, even though the radio drama is not technically canon, I hold it true that definitely Chewie is the reason Han came back. Because again, Chewie is the one who's always going to remind Han who he really is. Hey, Han, I know you think you're doing what's best, but nah, you're better than this. I've been with you since the days of Beckett and Kira. You're better than this. <laughs> so yeah. Han comes yeah. back. Yeah. You think you're, you're, you're doing what's best for you, but it's not what's right. So, <laughs> yep. and, uh, that's, uh, that's definitely, definitely, I think the case, um, yeah. Chewie is Han's Jiminy Cricket, although, you know, a lot bigger and can wield a bowcaster. So, <laughs> uh, yep. There, and, and huh, there you go. There is, there is the, the, the finality of the radio drama. And now you may turn to your comrades in arms and receive their ovation. How do you like being a hero, Han? <laughs> Some parts weren't too bad. <laughs> I don't know, you want to do it again sometime? What do you say, Luke? <laughs> Shall we? It wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, yeah, Finally, after nearly a decade of podcasting with lots of love for the A New Hope radio drama, Jason, we have finally done it. <laughs> we did it. We talked all about it uh, for a long, long time. Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. It's been a it's been a fun episode. I've been really looking forward to doing this, and I'm glad we finally did it, Carl. We Me did too. It, it was th- this was a blast, and. Again, just want to reiterate, if you've never had the opportunity to listen to the New Hope radio drama, it is available on on YouTube. You can easily pull it up there. Um, You can obviously go back and listen to the end of previous episodes of ours, but I feel like that'd be a bit more of an annoyance. Um, Just go to YouTube. That's the easiest place to grab it. Um, You can buy it on CD. um, So, I mean, I have them on CD and cassette, actually. (laughs) Um, I love these things. I have them on digital. Like, I have so many. I I love the radio drama so much, especially in New Hope. and, uh, and like I said at the top of the show, and, and, and I'm sorry if this upsets you, but I love the A New Hope radio drama so much more than the A New Hope movie. Um, 
uh, I mean, again, there's a lot more to it. So that's, I think that's part of it. But, uh, that being said, if you've, if you've never listened to it, I really encourage you checking it out. If you've listened to it, hopefully maybe it's been a while and we've gotten you excited about it again, go back, revisit it. Um, and even if it's still fresh in your mind, you know, and you want to shoot us some of the things you love about it, do that. Let us know what you like uh, so much about the new hope radio drama. Yeah. Uh, because obviously we, we've talked a lot about what's in here, uh, you know, primarily what's not in the movies um, and our enjoyment of it. And, and, you know, a little bit of disagreement on my end on, on one part in particular, <laughs> but, you know, no one's going to be perfectly happy with everything. But this is a really, really fantastic piece of Star Wars history that I think you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't check it out at least some point in your life, because it is truly a a an audio work of art um, and and is impressive. It is very, very impressive. Uh, I'm not sure I would go as far to say I like it better than the movie because the movies kind of stand on their own for me, Mm -hmm. but pretty darn good. It's a great companion piece for the movie uh, and really enhances the film itself. So yeah, um, Yeah. it's the only this and the uh, revenge of the Sith novel enhance their movies in a way that nothing else in star Wars has totally agree. Totally agree. And to be fair, if you want to hear us talk more about that, go back to our 400th episode, because we talked about our favorite ancillary works of star Wars. And we talk about both the radio dramas in general and the revenge of the Sith novel. So, and and how how much they add to their movies. Um, so there you go. There is our extensive and thorough look at all the exciting interesting additions in the radio drama to this story. And there are obviously things we did leave out. There's still more we could have talked about. Um, We could have talked more about how this expands the story in a more uh, uh, direct way, but we chose to just try to be as thorough and as, as, as we could be. Um, And we hope to do this again for empire strikes back in the future too. um, Once we start replaying that one again, and and that one has 11 episodes as opposed to 13. Um, So, uh, you know, we hope to do that in the future. Um, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, before I think we, I need a nap. <laughs> I know. Same here. Same here. So, uh, like Jason said, if, if hopefully if you stuck with us for the nearly two hours of the show, uh, we hope you had, had fun listening and, 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 uh, yeah, thank you for sticking through. Um, before we go, um, again, just want to remind folks one more time, to be thinking about sending us your Christmas Star Wars memories. Uh, you can send those to wampuslerpodcast at gmail.com. Again, just a short audio file. We're, like Jason said, you know, we're not looking to just uh, uh, read emails in that, that episode. We really want your voices to be heard. So don't worry if you don't have any professional mics or anything. It doesn't matter. Just use your phone to record it as a voice memo. Just throw it on your laptop, whatever it is. Just send us that MP3. You know, keep it to about a minute, two, two minutes at the most. Um, and we really want to play those in two weeks on our, our Christmas special. Um, but before that, we do have uh, one more episode before our Christmas special. So we are almost to the one year anniversary of the rise of Skywalker. Um, mm-hmm. And next week we are going to just look at the rise of Skywalker. What is, how do we feel about it one year later? Um, so yeah. we're just going to look at the things we loved about that movie, how it still stands up for us. Maybe what doesn't work for us moving forward. Um, again, not in a, we hate it. I mean, I really like that movie. So, and I know you do too, Jason. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we want to give some love to rise of Skywalker next week. 
And with that in mind, we have an interesting matchup for you with two scenes from The Rise of Skywalker. And we want you to decide, well, not decide, to choose for us which of these two scenes of revelation you prefer. Yes. Uh, so we are pitting the revelatory scene of Kylo Ren meeting the Emperor uh, versus the revelatory scene of Rey finding out she's a Palpatine. What? <laughs> yeah, so which revelation do you like more? Kylo discovering the Emperor is still alive or Rey discovering that she's actually related to said Emperor? Uh, yes, those are the revelations we want to pit to you. And Carl, if people want to weigh in on the matchup, uh, and again, anything else that we've covered in this episode or anything else regarding Star Wars, where can they do that, sir? Well, of course, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. We're on Facebook, uh, Wampas Lair Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, the, the underscore Wampas Lair. Uh, email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can support the show on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Wampas Lair. Indeed. Anything else you got before we close down this episode? No, I'm going to go take a nap. That uh, sounds good. Uh, six and a half hours of a radio drama, two hours of podcast. Sounds about right. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This is episode number 406, a new hope radio drama for Carl and Jason. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs> <laughs>